A guy by the name of Parker Palmer, in his book, he wrote a book called Let Your Life Speak. And he, he made this statement where he uh, recounted evaluating his life around midlife. He said this, he goes, I realized I was doing an incredibly noble job of living someone else's life. Those words are kind of haunting, aren't they? I was doing an incredibly good job at living someone else's life. Far too many of us, if we're honest, those words name exactly what maybe you sense to be true deep down inside. That maybe you've missed something that God had for you, that, that you've done a good job living life, an honorable job even, but you, you maybe haven't been living the life that God called you to live. We've be, we, who, who we've become isn't who God designed us to be. Though in fact, they're two very different people. With all the best, best of intentions, we've just become someone that God never designed us to be. Have you ever heard of a guy named Howard Hendricks? Howard Hendricks was a professor in Dallas, and uh, he's probably done more for theological and Christian education than uh, many people, if not anyone, in the last 100 years. And one of the things he would do with his seminary students when they came into class at the beginning of a semester is uh, he would get a whiteboard out or on his chalkboard and he would draw a big funnel, something similar to this. And uh, he would try to get his students to start thinking right at the beginning of their time with him about the, the rest of their lives, about their future. And so he'd draw this funnel. And at the top of the funnel, he would mark out several X's. And he would tell his students, he'd say, uh, all these X's, represent all the things that you can do. These are all the things that you can do in your life. Think of all the possibilities, all the opportunities. And then he would draw one large X at the bottom of his funnel. And at the very bottom, he would say, now this X is the one thing you must do. After he let that diagram sink in for a little bit. He was silent for a bit. And then he would say, the more successes you have in your life, the more, can, the more the can-dos fill up the top of your tunnel. But most opportunities are distractions in disguise. And if you're not careful, you'll spend your entire life doing all the things that you can do and never find the one thing that you must do. So he'd say, he'd look at his students, he'd say, and he would ask, what is the one thing that you must And from accounts of it, it was silent in the room, just like it is now. As people considered, what is the one thing I must do? Well, that's the question we want to address today. What burns within you that you can't deny? What lives in you? What has God planted in you that, that you just can't help but let out? Did you once know, but maybe you got quelched by just the stress and busyness of life. Or maybe you were afraid of ever naming it out loud, whatever it is God really called you to do. So you just kind of pushed it aside, you know, for respectable reasons. And, or maybe you just never really even knew, but you always wanted to. What's the one thing that you must do? Well, the good news is that you and I, because I've struggled with that too, we're not the only ones ever to struggle with that calling of what is it that God has called me 
to do. And we've been looking at one man's life, Jeremiah, and really his struggle and the struggle of an entire nation of God's people, struggling to live out who God had actually called them to be, to do the things he called them to do, to be the people he designed them to become. And uh, we've called it 2020 Vision for Life. And along the way, we've already made a couple big statements, you know, about the one-of-a-kind divine design that God has for you, for each of us. Two weeks ago, we just, we, we opened up starting talking about that you are more unique than you think, that God has designed you with a specific design, a specific purpose, a specific destiny in mind that no one can fulfill but you. In fact, as we even heard from, uh, from Jenna this morning, you are, that comes from Ephesians 2.10, right? You are his masterpiece. That you are God's, the word there is, is poema. You're his poem, his work of art, his one of a kind work of art. And that he goes on, the, Paul goes on to write, he says, and he's uh, created you for good works that he prepared way in advance. We saw in the first chapter of Jeremiah that God had consecrated him and designed him. Even before he created him in his mother's womb, he had plans for him. Do you know he has plans for you? In a sense, we've, we've used the phrase, he's been dreaming about your life, about that thing you must do. Last week, um, we, we kind of tried to set some things up by taking a look at the false images and understandings of ourselves, how we can turn to God to learn who we truly are. But, but in the process, we need to turn from our sin. Remember we saw in Jeremiah 4 that God wants us to turn wholly and completely to him. And that's, that's where you find your purpose. You know that, right? My son, Charlie... He likes to draw with crayons. He's homesick today, so he's probably coloring on the coffee table this morning. And when I get home, likely there'll be something that he drew. And he'll show it to me and he'll be excited. And I'll say, man, this is fantastic, Charlie. And then I'll ask, what, what is it? <laughs> and he'll know. And do you know why he'll know? Because he created it. And so you look to your creator for your true self. You turn from your sin, from all of your false selves, and you repent and turn to Jesus. And this morning now, we're gonna build on those two ideas and we're gonna look and see the fact that you have a God-given calling. You do. So with that thought in mind, let me pray. We're gonna look at Jeremiah chapter 20 today. If you wanna turn ahead, you can. But let me pray and then we're gonna dive in. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that um, though Lord, uh, you did create us for a specific purpose, for a specific calling and though we sin and we miss the mark over and over and over, you sent your son to redeem us, to save us, to make us new and to restore those good things, all those dreams. You're taking us as we sang this morning from glory to glory. Would you? Help us to see and believe that truth, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, he would deceive us and cause us to live lives of, of just being generic and not really being who you called us to be. But instead, would you work in power in us today, even through me as I teach? Jesus, for your glory, for our good, and for our joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, you have a God-given calling, not a generic one, but a personal calling, a personal purpose. We talked last Sunday about kind of the generic versus the real deal, right? 
The generic is kind of, it's, it's almost good enough, right? We looked at like, we talked about, joked around about cereal and soda and all that stuff. And, but, but really the real deal is, is so much better. Well, there's a sense in which God has given all of us collectively as his people a, a generic, but I use that in the very best of, of ways, a general call. He's called all of us to do some specific things, hasn't he? Uh, Jesus summed up all of the commands of God for our life with two. He said, if you would uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, you, you'll fulfill all of it. That, that's, that's what you're called to do. You're, you're also called, all of us are, to make disciples. That's kind of the general call for every follower of Jesus. Would you agree? I mean, that's, that's pretty simple. But now, how about you specifically? because I think there's a personal call for you as well. Ephesians 2.10, we talked about it. He's been dreaming up, he's, he's planned good works for you to accomplish in advance. So you might think of your personal call like this. Well, I, I exist, put your name in the blank there. I exist to, to honor God, to glorify God, and to love others by, how do you do it? And you can't put in making disciples because that's what all of us are called to do. You're called to do that for sure, but how? Like in what unique way do you live? In what unique way has God created you? And you might think of it in this way, we're gonna use this idea of, of like you have an I-N-G word at the beginning and then a, a verb at the end by blanking, blank. I'm not swearing, I'm just saying like that's you fill in the blanks. You exist to glorify God and love other people by what, what fills in the blanks for you. I'll share a little bit of my own story towards the end this morning. But let's keep going. Just have, that in the, have those thoughts in your heads and, heads. and even as we uh, look at Jeremiah, maybe how would, you might think about this in your life group this week. How would Jeremiah fill in those blanks from what you know of his life? We're in Jeremiah chapter 20, I said. We're gonna be in verse, start in verse seven. But right here in Jeremiah 20, we catch the prophet Jeremiah in a crisis. He's in a struggle of calling and of conviction, of, of what exactly God has called him specifically to do that no one else can do. He's done his best to live out his design and his destiny only to be met with resistance and rejection, ridicule. In fact, if you would look at the verses prior, earlier in chapter 20, I believe, uh, you find out that Jeremiah was actually arrested and, and put in the stocks, like about to be executed because he wouldn't shut up about what God had called him to do and to say. Do you notice like sometimes when you actually live out who God designed you to be, life doesn't necessarily get easier? When you live into the thing he's called you to do, it actually gets harder. And it's confirmed even by some of the pain that you go through to live it out. We see that in Jeremiah this morning. That, 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 that living into your calling isn't an absence of pain, but sometimes it's often stepping into it and embracing it. And this rejection and this resistance has taken a toll on Jeremiah. We're gonna pick it up in verse seven. But again, just by way of, of kind of setting this up, he's ready to give up on God. You're gonna see it. You don't always think of like the heroes in the Bible that way, do you? You think of them as like the in, in, uh, incredibly powerful and 
uh, impervious flannel graph Bible characters that nothing can touch them, right? They're heroes. Jeremiah is ready to give up. He's ready to quit. He's tired of the pain. We catch him in a moment of vulnerability. Have you ever felt that way? That as you try to live, live out who God called you to be, that life just gets harder and you're just like, I'm, why, why am I doing this again? His life doesn't look very unique in design or destiny. He's just kind of in an identity crisis. And we're going to get an opportunity now to listen in on his struggle. His honest, real, raw emotions, they're not hidden in his conversation with God. You're going to see it here. He feels disconnected. He feels deceived by God. He feels distraught. He's ready to give up and go on with life apart from God. Look with me at verse 7 in chapter 20. Here's what Jeremiah says. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me. I don't think he just said it like, oh, Lord, you have deceived me. I think there, there's some emotion there, isn't there? Like you, God, you lied to me. You said you created me in such a way that, that, that I would speak all the words, remember we saw this, I would speak all the words that you gave for me to speak and people would hear them and, and that's what you called, you, you lied to me. You said that was best for me. Do you know how hard it's been? He says, I was deceived. And you're stronger than I. You prevailed. You forced me into it. In fact, God, I've become a laughing stock all day. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord's become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. In other words, he's just like, I'm so tired of speaking for you because it, does, it is not going well. Like I'm, I'm losing friends, I'm losing respect from people in droves and it's just getting worse. You lied to me, you said this was best. You ever felt that? If you, if you have, you're in good company. I think we've, we've all, if we're honest, if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you've probably experienced that to some degree or another. Were you like, really? In fact, though, you know, it reminds me, I saw, before, before we go on, a couple weeks ago, I got to see the movie 1917. Anybody see that? If you, if, you don't, if you don't have a strong stomach, don't go see it, but it's a powerful movie. And there's one, one place in it where these two guys, I'll give you a summary, these two guys, uh, one of them actually is chosen to go on this mission, and he has to go up in World War I to the front lines of the war, because uh, part of his army, part of the British army, they're getting ready to attack the Germans. And they've learned back where he is behind the front lines that it's a trap. And so they're sending this guy to go and warn them before mornings because if they would go in, uh, hundreds if not thousands of them are gonna die. And his brother is part of that group. So he's gonna be motivated to get there. Well, then he's also called to choose one more person to go with him and they've got They've got less than 24 hours to get to the front line, get this message delivered so that they don't take their attack like they think, because it's a trap. They're gonna get housed if they go in. Well, along their journey, I mean, the, the, the movie just follows their journey. And it, it's, it's tense, it's powerful. But at one point, they're going, uh, they're going through uh, this German barracks that's been abandoned, you know, in the, through the trenches and into this barracks. And a tripwire hits and everything collapses and one of them is almost buried alive. And when they get out, 
The other guy rescues him, he pulls him out, they get out into, into fresh air and he's coughing and he's hacking and he's on his knees and he looks up and he's like, why did you choose me for this? Why'd you choose me for this? And the other guy goes, I didn't think it'd be that hard. <laughs> you ever feel that way? I think that's what Jeremiah's feeling right here. God, why did you choose me for this? I didn't think it would be this hard. He goes on, he says in verse nine, I will not, but, but you know what, Lord, if I say, I won't mention him, I won't speak anymore in his name. If I say those things, then in my heart, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I can't. See, there's times in life, like Jeremiah, we would honestly, quite honestly, like to not embrace the calling that God's put on our lives. It doesn't just go for anybody. I mean, that goes for the guy on the stage, too. There's times I don't want to embrace the calling God's put on my life. And I get frustrated and I get discouraged, but then at the same time when I go, you know what, I, I think I'm done. There's like this fire inside and like I, I can't hold it in. Like no, that's, that's what he's called me to do and the only thing worse than going on is not going on. You ever feel that? What is that for you? What is the thing God has put in you? What is the thing he's called you to do? For Jeremiah, it was to preach the word. Right, I mean, he, he was called to deliver an incredibly hard message to God's people. He crafted him for that before he was ever created. Listen, he's crafted you for something, a unique thing that only you can do for his glory, for your joy, for others' good. What is it that you can't help but do? When I was working on my master's degree, the guy who led my cohort, a guy by the name of Dave Kraft, he's in his mid-80s and he's still preaching the gospel and wearing skinny jeans, which is really funny if you ever see him. But he, has a, he had this phrase that, that he said, he said, Josh, uh, pursue with all your heart that which sets your heart on fire. With the idea and the understanding that God has designed me for that. He has placed that in me. And the, you know, and the, the psalmist says that as I seek him with my whole heart, he, he, he gives me new desires to seek after him, to seek after what it is he's created me, what he's created you to do. But it's a challenging truth we see here with Jeremiah, right? Because just because you're called to do something doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It doesn't. It's not an exemption from pain or suffering or despair or depression. In fact, it's often an invitation right into it. And living out your call doesn't mean that every day is going to be a good uh, zippity-doo-dah day. <laughs> does it? But it does mean it'll be best. It does. Even if not until the very end when he promises to finish everything that he's created and begun in you. See, 
There's, there's worse, there's something worse than suffering in life. It's not having something in life to suffer for. Jeremiah said, I, I won't mention him or speak in his, anymore in his name, but there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary with holding it in. I cannot, for I hear many whispering. Terror is on every side. In other words, what he's saying here, uh, your translation, if you have one in more modern English, it's like, uh, I hear them whispering on every side. They're mocking me, calling me like, Mr. Terror, here he comes, doom and gloom. Terror on every side. This little section is actually poetry, and that's, that's really what he's trying to convey here. Terror is on every, denounce him, let us denounce him. Say, all my close friends, his close friends turned on him. Watching for him to fall. Maybe perhaps he'll be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. Isn't this cheerful so far? Reading God's word, right? Just makes you feel good about life, doesn't it? But it is real, isn't it? It's totally real. It's what we experience. Remember, we're reading about a real guy in Jeremiah with real struggles, with real emotions, with a real call from God. And real ups and downs in the midst of it. And what we see is we see him, even though he's pressed through, he, 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 on every side, he pressed through that pain to embrace his purpose, to embrace God's calling grace. This is kind of dark. It is kind of sad, but it's, it's true and it's real. I mean, have you, you ever noticed how we try to avoid pain? I'm almost out. I'm going to be in trouble this week. You ever try to avoid pain? You go to, the, uh, go to Walgreens, walk down the aisle, and you can see painkillers of every kind, you know, from for your headache to aches in your feet and your back, or if you don't eat well, uh, aches in your stomach, a little pepsid. And, and our culture, I mean, there's a whole industry of, of avoiding pain, and that, that can be a great blessing. That's a good thing. Don't, don't hear me saying, you know, tough it out. Don't take any pain pills. You got a headache or... Avoid the Pepsid, but everybody's looking for an easy way out in life, it seems like, in our culture. That's just one way to, to visually see it. We're thankful for the relief of these things, but we should ponder whether some of our efforts to get rid of pain are robbing us of something valuable, because oftentimes that pain is actually pointing to something gone wrong, isn't it? God's designed that that way. The burning I feel after, you know, I eat a chili cheese dog. I can suck on a Pepsid and feel better about life. Or I can realize maybe I wasn't designed to eat that. <laughs> at least not at my age. Like that pain actually points to purpose, doesn't it? And sometimes as you, as you work through that, it, it directs you, it helps you understand what it is God's calling you toward and the purpose he's put and the passions he's put in your life. It's impossible, in fact, to talk about calling or purpose and not talk about passion and pain. The word passion actually means pain because of the, in the midst of pain and through pain, passion is formed. See, I don't think it's any coincidence that in a culture that numbs all of its pain, uh, there is a lack of passion and purpose in life. And we can miss it. But friends, you have a, a specific God-given calling 
that you would honor him and, and love others by doing something, by what, is the, what, are, what fills in the blanks for you? What are the good works he's created you to do, no one else? And it's rooted in, we're not gonna talk too long about this, but it's rooted in God-given convictions. What do you know to be true that, that God has put deep in you that you cannot live without? Like it just informs all of how you go about life. It, it needs to be rooted in the gospel and confirmed by God. But I think you see it a little bit here with Jeremiah even. Look at verse 11. See, all his friends had turned on him, but look at what verse 11 says. We see one of his convictions, but the Lord is with me. All my friends have turned away, but, but guess who's with me? God is. He has this deep conviction that God's still in control. He's still there through all of it. In fact, I, I love that phrase, he's with me as a dread warrior. Like he'll defend me. I mean, how else does he swing from that emotion of I quit, I give up, I'm going home, to you know what though, God's with me. And he's a dread warrior, man. And he'll defend me. And he'll help me because he's called me to this even though it's hard. Do you see that? He goes, therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They'll not overcome me. They'll be greatly shamed. They will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I've committed my cause. It might be easier for Jeremiah just to cater to the expectations of the world around him, but he couldn't imagine he couldn't imagine doing that and abandoning the Lord and his call in his life. He refused to, to settle for the generic. He had to continue doing what God had uniquely called him to do. And ultimately, he could only look to God to validate these convictions. He had to place his hope in him and trust God to fulfill these things that he had promised and to work through him. And when all said and done, his, his commitment left a lasting legacy for Israel forever after, even for us. As we wrap up, um, do you remember May 12, 2008, the great Sichuan earthquake? You probably don't. I hadn't thought about it in a long time. There was a big earthquake in 2008 measuring 8.0 on the Richter scale, and it rocked the country of China. It devastated houses and buildings, left a trail of casualties in its wake. And this earthquake caused the largest number of geohazards ever recorded, including 200,000 landslides, more than 800 quake lakes distributed over an area the size of Virginia. I mean, it was massive. But in the midst of all that, there was a few heroes that emerged. One story that came out of wreckage was about a boy named Lin Howe. Lin Howe was nine years old. He was nine years old and in second grade. And he was walking down the halls of his school when the earthquake struck. The walls of his school collapsed in on him and his classmates, and right away he was knocked unconscious. And when he came to, he found his way out. But after he found his way out, do you know what he did? Nine-year-old Lin, he went right back in. And he started rescuing and he pulled out two or three more of his classmates. 
And somebody asked him, a reporter asked him afterwards, like, why'd you do that? And he said, well, I'm the hall monitor. That's my job. It's what I was given to do. And you got, you, you got to imagine how hard that could have been for him, right? But he, was, he, he knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. And even in the midst of the chaos, he went and he did it. That's just a little picture of what it looks like when you understand your calling like Jeremiah did. That even in the midst of chaos all around, you say, you know what? That's painful. That's hard. I don't like it right now. But I'm going to step into it because that's what he's called me to do. Now, as we wrap up, you may be sitting here thinking, "Go, Josh, that's awesome, but I have no idea what that is for me. I have no idea. Well, the good news for you is that um, it can be understood, it can be known, but it takes some time, and it's, it's really a lifetime of walking with Jesus. You're going to continue to learn those things. And we, we have a process we kind of started. We, we did a trial of it last, last spring. We're going to try it again this spring. Um, uh, called Life Unique, where we take you through things where you look at your life and uh, you get to look back at how God created you, who, how, all the things that he orchestrated in your life and how all of those things are being woven together that he never wastes anything and he uses that for you to live a, a unique God gospel-designed life. And so uh, we haven't really set a date. I haven't talked to to Mandy or Dave about this yet, but I just looked at the calendar and March 21st is open. So unless you hear different from me, I think maybe that morning, it's just a primer. It'll just be a morning. Anyone, you're welcome. The workbook, it costs like 10 bucks, but if you can't do that, just let me know. We'll help you through it. But would love for you to, to work into that. And in your life group though, this week, you've got some things where you're gonna work through and, and start to explore and be thinking about what is it God's uniquely designed and called you to do? What are the convictions he's placed in your heart? In our life group, as we talked about some of those things just last night, we said, you know what? It, it feels really strange to talk about myself. And like I'm patting myself on the back about the way God created me. And well, there's a good way to think about yourself and there's a wrong way to think about yourself, right? The wrong way is, look at me, I'm so cool, everything revolves around me. The good way is, you know what, I'm uniquely created by God. I'm his unique design, his masterpiece. And he's created me with purpose. And man, I wanna know what that is. I wanna recognize it for what it is and I wanna live it out, amen? And I'm telling you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can do that. I told you I would share a little bit about mine before we wrap up, and then we're gonna have some baptisms this morning. Um, uh, but let, let me just share this briefly, and maybe I'll unpack it more in the coming weeks. Here's how I would fill in those blanks for my life. I would say that Josh Weiland is, uh, exists to honor God and love others, and you're gonna hear this, and you're gonna think, that makes no sense to me. It's okay, it makes a lot of sense to me. By unearthing beauty, that's how I fill in the blanks. Like, what does that mean? Good for you, Josh. As I unpack that, here's how I understand it, is that for whatever reason, the way God has wired me in, in being creative and being able to communicate and being able to have musical ability, um, to love design. I studied architecture before I got into ministry. 
that, that he's, he's created me and wired in me this ability to take things that sometimes can seem a little bit chaotic and slowly over time kind of dig through them and unearth what's true and what's good and the beauty of who Jesus is in the midst of that, whether it's in designing something or in preaching the truth or, or whatever that is. He, he's, I've just found like, like that's what I love to do. I can't help but do it. Whether I'm a pastor or whatever I do with my life, it doesn't matter. Like I can't help but, but unearth the beauty of who Jesus is to people and to those around me. I'll try to unpack that more so you can get a glimpse into where I've been on this journey. But listen, God designed you for something, friends. It can be known. We've seen it in Jeremiah. We see it through everyone, really, in Scripture. And it's just as true for you. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your truth. Thanks that you created us with a unique purpose, with a unique design, uh, for a unique destiny. And Lord, I pray you'd help each of us to live into that with confidence and with courage. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.